Well, good morning. Thanks for getting here on short order. Um, I think many are aware that we've had uh, several recent attacks in the downtown area targeting women. Uh, the good news is that we've made an arrest this week that we think will clear uh, several of these cases. And uh, Chief Mike Koval is going to give you the information that we can share at this time. Chief. Thank you for joining us all on short notice. As you know, Madison has a pretty good reputation in terms of a safe community, a community where crime is comparably relative to other people our size and strength is, is not something extraordinary, which we're very proud to proclaim and to brag about and to continue to work for. Yet every now and again, we do have these episodic crime sprees, which uh, certainly put us all on a sort of perilous course or path because we're concerned about what the trajectory is until we can conclude it. So as Joel mentioned, I'm pleased that we have an opportunity to report back to our constituents that today we have someone under arrest and will be subsequently charged with a number of offenses. We have him currently for at least four different instances down here on the Isthmus area dating back to a week from last Tuesday. I'll sort of describe those in sort of a flip-flop chronology because there's events here that I think are noteworthy. First and foremost, I think that, as you all understand, uh, community policing is at its best when it's done in partnership, when it's done in collaboration. And certainly that was the case here with a lot of people from our downtown not-for-profits and elsewhere who deal with the same populations of people that we are constantly overlapping with and sharing concerns, needs, and challenges with. But I'll tell you, this time when we looked over the course, and I think many of you subscribed to the blog, um, when you have an incident of a predatory nature uh, where you're preying upon vulnerable victims and then you see that that pattern is escalating by leaps and by bounds. That is that instance where we sort of uh, close ranks, despite what your assignments or duties might be, and we all go on board and throw everything we have at it. And such was the instance of what led to this arrest. Um, what ultimately was our success? Well, first of all, it's always amazing to me to see victims who have the capacity and the resiliency to provide us with some incredible victim statements of uh, specificity, of detail, uh, to be able to describe their assailant with that sense of certainty really helps us in terms of the investigative uh, element of this whole thing. So we had great witnesses. The other thing is, is that one of the people who was victimized on a bus, and we'll talk about that, was a 13-year-old girl last Sunday. And she had an 11-year-old schoolmate who I really want to single out for uh, individual accolades because she had listened well to a parent. And the parent had told her, you know, when you engage or interact with people that give you that sort of creepy feeling, Take out your cell phone and take a picture of them. And, in fact, in the encounter which occurred on this bus, an 11-year-old who had the presence of mind to have that vibe, to have that feeling, and to remember and hearken back to those parental instructions proved to be very instrumental to us. Let's start there, shall we, because I think that's very helpful. Uh, it was a week ago last Sunday, excuse me, just Sunday, a couple days ago, 
we had a 13-year-old with a couple of schoolmates uh, traveling from the West Point Transfer Hub uh, on over to the Central District around 6.30, 7 o'clock Sunday evening. And in that instance, uh, this ultimately this suspect, who is, who is now our person in custody, uh, did some very uh, crude things, uh, some groping attempts, and had predicated all this behavior by surveillance footage that shows him uh, masturbating the back of the bus. And the girls were obviously concerned, disheveled, taken aback, and it was the 11-year-old as well as the 13-year-old who made a timely report that was given to the MPD, and that really was a springboard for when, which we could really sink our meat hooks onto something looking at the correlation of connecting the dots over a series of events. As I said, the first event which would have occurred was a week ago last Tuesday, September 17th at around 5.30 a.m., when this suspect first began this crime spree by entering the home of another without consent and with intent to commit a crime therein. Some of you may know that with intent to commit a crime therein being a burglary. In this case, we think that was for a more nefarious issue of a sexual assault or an attempt. But in that instance, the, the, the victim uh, repelled him in terms of wakening, screaming, alerting, and he fled the scene. Then we had, secondarily, the next case in our grand scheme of things would have been on uh, South Patterson Street. That was at 7.50 p.m. in the 400 block. And in that instance, we had someone who was uh, approached from behind, groped, and that was a fourth-degree sexual assault before that victim disengaged and was able to seek help, seek shelter, and call the police. Then we had, as I said, the Metro bus incident, which I began at the top of this report with discussing. And then Sunday evening at around 9.45-ish, as a woman was walking in the 500 block of East Main, she was assaulted, and uh, there was a physical altercation, uh, and ultimately she was able to repel that attack. So through this whole litany of cases... We have under arrest a 26-year-old male whose name is Luis Ruiz Ugalde. Uh, I think, again, he is a predator of the worst kind, pernicious because of his uh, escalating behavior and because of his choice of very vulnerable victims. Not only did we have great victim statements, but we had a lot of other things going for us in order to be able to arrive at this conference today. We had the benefit of surveillance cameras yet again which helped our detectives corroborate modus operandi, proximity, physical descriptions, clothing descriptions. That was infinitely helpful, and as you know, we also have bus cameras that are public places, public spaces, and those metro bus cameras also prove providential. We had teamwork uh, from a variety of sources from within. Certainly our beat detectives, our detectives who are assigned to a district, were heavy lifters on this one, but they were assisted by our colleagues from the burglary crimes unit, the violent crimes unit. So many of our detectives investigators come together for these big, critical, sort of uh, serialistic crimes to make sure that we try to put a good conclusion on it as quickly as we can from a community safety standpoint. Additionally, I cannot forget our beat cops, and in particular, our neighborhood beat cops assigned to the downtown area. They know everybody. They know everybody who knows everybody else. They get anonymous information. They get 
informed information, and I actually think that the beat cops were very critical to f us pulling all these together and getting a name with a face and all of this. And then again, as I started at the outset, the collaboration we have with community members who are willing to come forward and assist us, understanding that it's in everybody's benefit to see the area, particularly our downtown area, we get so much of the publicity uh, that they should also get the publicity for when they're working together cooperatively, collaboratively with us and for us, and we're all on the same page. And I think that's a real celebration of what we can do together in a community policing format. So from that standpoint, I will leave uh, you for questions, if I may. That uh, incident you talked about on Patterson, was that also on September 17th? Uh, no, it was just this last uh, uh, Sunday, I believe. Oh, the one on East Main was Sunday, pardon me. That was on last Friday, the 400 block of Patterson. That was the 20th. And I'll share these later. Oh. Uh, for the in, three of the incidents that the chief is referencing, there are current incident reports on our website. <laughs> the one case that is not on the website uh, is the fourth degree sexual assault that the chief just referenced that took place very close to B.B. Clark Beach. So that was last Friday evening. Yeah, it's R U I Z with a hyphen, I believe, U G A L D E. First name of Luis, L U I S. I think he's NPA, no permanent address. The B cops and the neighborhood officers being instrumental in this and being able to talk to the folks that they know in the community. Is that because the folks in the community? knew who this man was, he, you know, was he a frequenter of the downtown area that they were able to recognize him? Well, yes, yes, they recognized him, but I think one of the reasons that they came forward and assisted us is that they've come to trust, to know, and to understand that the neighborhood officers are someone they can trust in a fiduciary sort of way, and that this isn't going to impact or harm their ongoing necessity for relationships with a population that can be very transient at times. Other questions for the chief? I'm going to ask this because it was almost four years ago this month. Um, there was the bike path, uh, bike path assault. Is there any chance this could, so far that you are aware of, this guy could be related to something going back that far or anything beyond the four incidents that you're well, in terms of the most immediate sense, when we have crime sprees or episodes like this, we do a lot of information brokering and sharing with the other neighboring law enforcement agencies. And sometimes when you have a format as visible as this is, we will have other victims who may have altered, uh, at this point have been somewhat reluctant to come forward. We don't know that there are other victims that are coming forward. There are some other instances we have looked like that look like they might have a correlation to this, but of course it's that, uh, nuisance, that nuisance of probable cause, and if we don't have the evidentiary means to link this individual with other causes or incidents, uh, then we can't charge them. We're comfortable in charging for the four incidents we have as, as of this date. But in terms of the, that brutal lakeshore path that I do recall too vividly, can't forget it, um, we're not myopic. We don't get tunnel vision, but at this point there doesn't appear to be a correlation in time and proximity to this same event, series of events in the last week to 10 days. 
And the chief having said that and talked just briefly with uh, one of our uh, investigators, certainly we'll take a look at him to see if he could be connected. Right. But at this time, we don't have anything that would say that he is. Right. The incident, the incident for which there is not an incident report, can you give some more details to where exactly and what time? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to put something when I, once we finish the news conference, I'll put out a release. Uh, this was a woman who was walking from uh, B.B. Clark Beach, near, near the area of B.B. Clark Beach. Uh, she had someone run up behind her and uh, grab her buttocks. Um, so it's a fourth degree sexual assault. Um, and that's really the nature of, of that case. Uh, but again, we've been able to connect this suspect to that case, and so he'll be tentatively charged with that fourth-degree sexual assault. Also, I have some uh, literature to distribute to media. I've given Chris Rickert one of the copies now, so you can see what we have arrested this person for currently. Uh, he was arrested Monday night by our violent crimes unit in the downtown area and taken into custody specifically for the sexual assault that took place on the Madison Metro bus involving the child. Uh, we are now, just this morning, in fact, our detectives have been uh, working at uh, developing probable cause uh, that we'll be referring uh, additional tentative charges to the district attorney. Uh, for media interest, uh, it's my understanding, and again, you, you need to check with the DA's office, but I believe that our suspect uh, will be making his initial appearance at 1.30 this afternoon. Thank you, Chief. Updated. Thank you. Anything else? Um, yeah, so when it comes to surveillance cameras, you know, being part of, you know, helping you get a suspect in this case, mm -hmm. um, would you speak to the fact that surveillance cameras are often a necessity in catching suspects like this? You know, I know a lot of places in the downtown area or other places throughout the city don't all have surveillance cameras, so would it be helpful to have them in places that, you know, they could be utilized? I know they're expensive, so it's kind of that aspect of it, you know, you can't put them everywhere, but do you think they should be? Well, of course, uh, yeah, the greedy chief says, yes, more cameras is always good. The thing is, is that, yes, we have found that today's day and age and climate is that um, if it were not for cameras, but for cameras, but for forensics like DNA and those other tried and true methodologies, we would find a lot of these cases unsolvable because, quite frankly, they're unwitnessed, or if they are witnessed, there's a reluctance of people to come forward, either for fear of retaliation, reprisal, the images of being a snitch, whatever the cases may be. There's a lot of reasons that that human intelligence factor is less than forthcoming, as much as we'd still like to get that as, as, as best we can. But we've been also careful, mindful, that with those cameras comes balancing of privacy issues. And so that's why our cameras, the city cameras, are put in portals of public access and direction and those areas where none of us enjoy a superior right of privacy. We don't put them in private areas. We don't direct them in backyards or in areas where people would have an expectation of those privacy areas. But, but the cameras have been fundamentally important to us in clearing a lot of our very high-profile cases and even sort of our run-of-the-mill garden variety, quite frankly. Anything else? Any other yes, I have another question. Um, I, I would just follow that too. I've talked with some of our detectives, and certainly there are areas of the city where there is not good camera coverage, and it's much harder to solve some of those cases because of that. In areas such as the Langdon Street neighborhood, where we had this break in on Howard Place, where this uh, individual has been tentatively charged with that burglary, 
we had exceptional video that really was a that detectives were able to track his uh, movement in that area and so it makes a huge difference um, as I've referenced before uh, when I first started here Kelly Nolan uh, disappeared off State Street there were no cameras I firmly believe that had we had cameras on State Street at the time that Kelly Nolan disappeared we'd be in a much better situation in terms of identifying a suspect and what is still an open case for us. Can't disagree. Uh, and then another question was about, do you, can you speak to the importance of identifying suspects that show, you know, es you know signs of escalating crime, you know, in terms of their sprees? How important is it a, a, to identify these suspects before something becomes, you know, extremely critical? Well, again, and this is a perfect example of a stair step of escalating behavior. First, you get into the house. Then we get into the point where we're actually having physical contact. Now we're having the event where we have uh, the predicate of lewd and lascivious behavior and groping or grappling with minor children, a 13-year-old. And now we've reached the summit where on a Sunday night when someone is walking down a well-lit street area of literally being stalked and then attacked with the intent, obviously, to do harm in the sense of a sexual assault. So in this case, it was clearly on an escalator in terms of its trajectory. So, yes, I'm, I'm very happy that the detectives made a timely arrest, as they have, because I think that was where the scale was headed. I feel like this is a very specific instance, and you had talked at the beginning about how it's not quite as usual for the city of Madison, but is there a learning experience for anybody out of this? I think the learning experience, it's affirming for us, because we've seen this happen time and time again, but for others who want to witness what community policing means, is that the idea of the cops sort of going it alone, we're the professionals, stand back, amateur hour, we'll handle this. Uh, those are very naive and, and, quite frankly, disingenuous. We need to have this as a holistic approach. And quite frankly, as so often is the case with a lot of instances, even in terms of upper state, to assume that the cops in and of themselves can sort of ticket and arrest our ways out of that uh, issue and that environment is absurd. We need to have a lot of people, social service intervention, AODA people, a lot of different things in terms of home and advocates for the homeless. Those things are a consortium, and that's why community policing works best when it's done together collaboratively. And in this instance, we had that very same sort of essence in looking at making an arrest in a set of uh, insidious crimes. I'm, I, you know, speaking as a woman, I just feel, you know, I don't want to say this in, you know, be insensitive, but I'm guessing, you know, these victims, there's nothing they could have done. Well, like, I think. Oh, no, absolutely, and, and we never get into victim-blaming at all. And, in fact, these victims I want to laud for the fact that, A, they had the presence of mind to do some really dynamic decision-making, they knew how to do self-survival techniques, and they had the capacity to make some incredible observations. They were phenomenal witnesses in these instances. That in and of itself uh, should be celebrated as far as that goes. I mean, I, I, as a cop trained to be a professional observer, 
I'm not sure if under stress I would have had the same level of acumen that these individuals did in dealing with these crises that were literally involving them as a subject of a crime. And so to that extent, uh, we want to completely extol what they've done and commend them. Yeah. Um, so all of the incidents happened at dark besides the one in the bus. Is that right? So the one into the home would have been early morning hours. I think it's still early at 530, yeah. yes. And so then 7 p.m. on the bus, but the buses have interior lights. Mm -hmm. uh, then we also have the one at 7, mostly dark, darker hours, yeah. And then with the... the teenagers or the, the children, yes. um, do you think that their cam their picture was like really important? Like maybe he would have still been doing crimes at this point? I think the picture is very important because as much as you have um, images, still photos, clothing descriptions, I think contextually you're constantly painting a, a picture with greater and greater clarity. And I think that helps become a part of that puzzle. And, and we're just... Oh interject too because I can see a, a, one of our detectives nodding that this was crucial uh, that photograph that was taken or images taken by that 11 year old really helped the case because I've seen the picture it's you know a, a close-up of this guy's face and it's no doubt who that is so the 11 year old took the picture on the bus yes 11 year old you got uh, the 11 year old knew something was kind of creepy and had been uh, instructed by a parent that should this happen at some time, take a picture of that person who's creeping you out, and that's what uh, she did. And so, again, that was there's a number of things that came together to put uh, us where we're at right now, but that was a, a crucial piece of evidence. It's a little concerning. I wonder why so many people want selfies with me. <laughs> <laughs> Do we, does this uh, suspect Louise have any previous history with um, Madison Police Department? Can one of my detectives speak to that? Yeah, some history. I don't know if it's directly with us. I don't think there's a significant history there. We're still looking more into that. All right, so that's uh, basically an open-ended question with no real sense of uh, track record. Any other questions? Thank you so much for covering this, folks. We appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.